Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Dominic Booth, and I'm delighted to be joined again by our Chief United writer, Samuel Luckhurst. Hello. And by Tyrone Marshall. Thanks for joining us as well, Ty. Hello, no problem. Good to be here. Yeah, and so it was another good win for United on Saturday. Another three-goal margin. 5-2 in an action-packed game against Bournemouth. Uh, so we'll unpack that one to start with, Samuel. It was kind of a crazy game, wasn't it? It was a bit of an odd one to report on as well. It, it was. I mean, it was a it was a day that potentially United's next great side emulated the greats. I was running out of how many, this is the first time since then, and this is the first time since that team did that one. Uh, it was I mean, it was surreal. Uh, I think probably the most the most positive thing about United was was how they responded to going 1-0 down. That's I know that happened in the Tottenham game, but it was a very different set of circumstances in, in that one. That it was the first game back uh, since football's hiatus and it was just the sheer shock factor that they, they'd conceded to Bournemouth, who probably weren't even supposed to score um, in this game, uh, especially after how they got absolutely annihilated by Newcastle in the week. But it, within 15 or 20 minutes, it was it was 3-1, and you thought that was that. Uh, but then um, Eric Bailly comes on and <laughs> does what Eric Bailly is, is prone to doing, although... You know, there's still an element of, uh, I mean, with with the VAR, I don't want to really dwell on it too much, but I think if they're going to have that technology, which I think like the majority, you'd rather they wouldn't, um, unless it was used in a sensible way, it, it's it's getting to the point where they might as well incorporate the hotspot technology they have in, in cricket, um, just to see where it's actually hit a person, whether it hits shoulder, whether it hits bicep. Regardless, it was it was comical and calamitous, but. The defending aside, United were just excellent to watch again um, from an attacking perspective. Uh, Greenwood, I mean, for those of us who were fortunate to watch him at, at junior level, I think we all thought he would he would cut it at this level. But for him to have had the season he's had is, is, is pretty remarkable going so far. And I think there's every chance he will get 20 goals um, this season. He's, he's, he's got enough games to do that. He's, he's a first-teamer now. Um, United have a first 11 uh, they've got two players who've got 20 goals in a season um, normally those those stats, those figures would suggest that they're challenging for the league and I think that's what United can't I mean they're not getting away from that at all and they're not getting carried away with themselves whatsoever but things like that the reminder that they are still fifth after another very good weekend it just reinforces the need to not, not rest on their laurels when it comes to the next transfer window um, all this running where they have got eminently winnable games, but the Solskjaer has repeatedly stressed they are coming up against teams that have taken points off them already this season. And Tyrone, does it does it also enforce uh, the point that, that how far United have come since the autumn, for example, when they were losing to the, to these teams, you know, Bournemouth and West Ham and Newcastle, uh, and now their form 
probably since the signing of Fernandez, it that is title challenging for them. That shows how how far they've come in a relatively short space of time. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to believe that this is that the team we're watching is the same team that struggled to create chances apart from on the counter attack in October, November, and December. I mean, it was only before the the Newcastle game on Boxing Day when we were talking about, I think they'd won one of 12 games then when they'd had more possession. And they, they just looked aside completely devoid of ideas unless they had space to break into. There was, there was a complete lack of creativity. There was no real fluency and, unless they were breaking at pace. And, and to, to, put, to see that team and the way that team played now, and they were just so static, they were ponderous then, there was no real, no real tempo in their game. And to see the way they're playing now, I mean, they are... They are up there going forward with, with Liverpool and City in, in recent performances. The, the, the quality in their play in the final third, the link-up, the invention and, and the speed at which they're playing is, is a complete transformation. And it is, you know, it's remarkable to believe we're in the same season, really, as, as the stuff we were seeing back in the autumn. I think it shows, you know, I, I made this comparison in my piece on Sunday, which was not to say they are ready yet to win, to win a title, because they're obviously not, but... With, with City and Liverpool, it felt like they a lot of teams used to build from the back and build a solid defence and then the rest would take care of itself. Nowadays, I think it happens the way around. And you have you need to score goals to win titles these days, especially when in the Premier League, you're probably going to need 95-plus points. And United have, have found a formula that works going forward now. They've found a potent front three. They've found creative midfielders. And that gives them a base to work on and try and improve defensively. And it's what City and Liverpool did. They found attacking styles, they found good front threes and then kind of worked backwards to, to win titles. So I think it shows that United are on, are on the right track um, in terms of getting closer to the top three and, and the transformation in their attacking play in the space of a few months has, has been quite incredible. And I guess it, it throws into question, talk about front threes, it, it throws into question United's top transfer priority to an extent. I know you need, you need a squad and you need options, Samuel, but Jaden Sancho has been the man United have, have coveted for a while now, but it's suddenly not looking quite so pressing, although obviously Sancho would, would add something to any team, wouldn't he? He would, and I think this is the danger that you can, in terms of regressing with United, you go back to the caretaker period of Solskjaer's reign, and suddenly, because they were well largely unbeaten, they lost to PSG, but they, of course, had the comeback in the return leg people started to think, well, do they need this many players? And of course, when it came to the summer, they signed only three players and it wasn't enough. They, they, Lukaku went, Herrera went, neither were replaced. They've kind of replaced, it's been like one and a half replacements, I suppose, with Agarlo coming in on loan. But by bringing those two in, him and Fernandes, uh, they do look they do look like a more complete team. But of course, it's got to the point now where you're looking at the next summer window and they can't lose sight of that. And if they were to just abandon plans to sign a right winger or another attacker, um, it, it, it would just be illogical to me. And Sancho is the kind of player that if United don't take up the chance to sign him, someone else will. And they might live to regret that. We've seen that already with, with Haaland, um, in the, in, with him choosing to join Dortmund, which, it, I mean, was a is a much greater blow than someone like Jude Bellingham possibly ending up at Dortmund. But the upside of Haaland not going to United was, of course, that Greenwood has probably had a lot more playing time. And I think one of the things that impressed me about Greenwood was going back to Linz um, when they won 5-0. He, he didn't start that game. And it, it, it was a bit of a surprise that in the 
United were coming up against a team that looked eminently beatable and Greenwood had played uh, a lot of games in the Europa Leagues, especially in the group stage. But Igalo started, Igalo scored. And when Igalo has started, I don't think Greenwood has started in the same eleven with him. Yet Greenwood came on in added time, like got about five minutes. And what does he do? He scores. And it's just, he played as if he, as almost as if he was slighted by the fact he wasn't even starting that game. And then you contrast him playing with this affront to someone like Angel Gomez, who was just far too affable in his Paul Smith suit on the running track, acting like he was a kid on work experience when there were younger players like Greenwood and Brandon Williams who were involved in the game. So, I mean, at the moment, you would not want to move Greenwood out of that team, whether it's for the for the rest of the season or maybe the start of next season. But they do need more quality and depth. The matchday squad does look very, very strong and they do have good options on the bench. The acid test for that bench will be when there's a game in the second half that United aren't winning and they're going to have to come on and try and salvage the game or try and turn a, a draw into a win or turn a defeat into a point at the very least. They've not really had that so far. You had it at Tottenham where they were 1-0 down, but of course it was Pogba and Greenwood who came off the bench. Those two are now first-teamers, and rightly so. Um, I have my doubts that whether if you bring Daniel James on in the game, he can really affect it like the way Pogba did against Tottenham or the way Greenwood has in certain games this season. Yeah, the great thing about Greenwood is that he's shown versatility and and Sancho has that as well. And Rashford and Martial, that they can play anywhere across that that front line. I guess the the focus has has been more on the defence uh, than Tyrone after Bournemouth. And uh, as Samuel mentioned, a couple of sort of keystone cops moments at the back. It was a very very rudimentary goal that Junior Stanislas scored um, early on, and then the penalty situation. Uh, even though VAR may have got things right and wrong throughout the game against Bournemouth, that just seemed to to throw more questions about United's defence and, and, and what they really need to do with it. How did you see it? Yeah, I mean, they, they were very slack at the back at times and it, it was kind of, you know, there were individual mistakes in there. The, the, the strange thing is that the, the defensive record recently has improved a lot during this unbeaten run, but they are still making some, some very basic errors. I mean, the clean sheet record during during this run is... Is it 10 clean sheets in 16 games, something like that? It's 11, I think. It I think is. It's 11. 11, yeah. 11, to 11. I yeah. mean, that, that is very, very impressive. But then you see performances like that and you think they're not, you know, they're clearly not quite there yet. I, I still think, I mean, Maguire doesn't cover himself in glory for the first goal, but it was, it was very inventive from, from Junius Stanislas to nick that ball through his legs. And you could argue Maguire should perhaps have his legs closed, but... I don't think he'd have been expecting that, and it was it was very creative play. I think the bigger issue is is the Hayer who almost you know, he, he almost manages to make himself smaller rather than bigger when, when Stanislas is bearing down on goal, and he for me is still is still a concern at the moment. Um, the 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 second goal, the biggest issue there is they came out, and I don't know what was said at half time, but they came out and for three minutes they played as if they were half asleep. There was just error after error. They couldn't get rid of the ball with pressure. There was missed passes, poor clearances and in the end, you know, it, it probably wasn't a penalty and it was probably not a great decision from the on pitch on pitch referee to give it. But but they were just playing themselves into trouble consistently and it does show that there are still issues there. Maguire, although he's made mistakes this season, is obviously a long term solution there. I think the question marks you know, Lindelof has his moments, but is he too is he a little bit too inconsistent to be considered as a 
part of a title-winning defence, perhaps. Um, but I'm not sure he's that works. You know, too different to, to Liverpool's alternatives to um, to Van Dijk. So, you know, there are issues there defensively. You need to cut out the individual mistakes. I still think my biggest concern is probably in goal rather than the back four at the moment. But it, it does show that that is probably the area that they need to be concerned about at the moment, which is bizarre considering it's. You know, it's not long ago that we were saying it was the other end of the pitch that, that needed the work. I think the I mean, issue they've. I mean, cool, sorry. I think the issue. Sorry, the issue they've got is that if you look at City and Liverpool, I know Edison's had a couple of cock-ups recently, but the two keepers at both clubs, you would say, are world class. Uh, I mean, I, I think that. I mean, Van Dijk is obviously world class. I'd say Laporte, when he's fit, he, he's a world class centre back. Um, I think in terms of top five centre backs in the world, he would probably get in it if not top five, top ten. And United don't have that. For all Harry Maguire's merits, I wouldn't ever, having seen him this season, having seen him previous seasons, I would never have assigned him the status of a world-class defender. And De Gea, unfortunately for him, has, has lost that status. He lost it probably over a year ago. And when you put it in that perspective, you think, do do we need to turn it around? So going from, rather than, I mean, going into the, a normal transfer window, if the season had ended normally, it would have been probably the emphasis on the attack. But now there is a justifiable um, argument that it should be on the defence, as Ty alluded to with the clean sheets record. I do think that has masked certain deficiencies in this United team. And they've been unbeaten during that stretch, but the hair has made what? Three mistakes, I think, that have pretty much led to goals. Calvert-Lewin, um, Bergvine, and, and the one at the weekend as well. And, of course, when Bournemouth get a penalty, you think, well, they might as well just turn around and go back to the into their own half because there's no way De Gea is going to save this. He's, he's, his record on penalties is, is dreadful, unfortunately, for him. So, in, in terms of bridging that big gap between City and Liverpool, United have got to think of that. But the caveat... I suppose goalkeeping-wise, is that Dean Henderson recently, again, it just reiterates when the focus is on him and he's being tipped to be the next United number one, and he's, you know, his name is rocketing up Google Trends. He does make mistakes and he does get a bit too big for his boots, and that's that's a balance he's going to have to address if he wants to actually make it United. Yeah, well, and we we know that United what positions United have prioritised and haven't prioritised, Samuel, will, will they consider changing those priorities if, if defensive issues do persist? Is, is that something that, that they're, they'll get, they're going to consider? In terms of outright changing, I'd be very surprised. I think that they, they pride themselves on being extremely well prepared for transfer windows now, especially after the success of last year. It's in that they'll have a meeting in September and they'll identify the positions they need to strengthen. Now, when you go back to September and the State United were in, you'd have thought, yeah, you know, playmaker, a winger, um, a midfielder, maybe two midfielders. And come January, they finalised their list of targets, so to speak. And in February, Matt Judge goes about trying to execute these deals and, and teeing them up, I guess, so that come the end of the season, they can try and get them done as quickly as possible, which isn't always the case. Clubs will dig their heels in and what have you. But it was interesting, I thought, what Solskjaer said recently when he said that they're always on a lookout for a striker. And that was in response to a question about whether they... Sorry, not, not always on the lookout for a striker, always on the lookout to improve. But it was in it was in response to the question whether they needed a striker because they've got 
Marshall, Igalo, uh, Greenwood and Rashford can play as strikers. Greenwood pretty much is a, is a striker. And rather than say, no, we don't need one, he said, well, we've always got to be on the lookout for one. And I think that was taken a little bit out of context context by some of the outlets and that they thought, well, United are going for a striker in the next window. It's it's more a case of, you know, maybe next year when Igalo goes, they will have to look at bringing someone in permanently again. So, I mean, it's it's the right way to operate in that they are pretty much saying, look, every position, there has to be a player of interest there. And, and why wouldn't there be, really? I mean, even right back, Wambasaka could be United's next right back for right back for the next decade. But Dallow looks like someone who, at the very least, looks as though he needs a loan next season. So do you look at backup right backs um, somewhere longer down the line? So even in a position that looks pretty secure at the moment, it's an area that could be of interest sooner rather than later. So although there is, as I said, there is an argument that they need a centre-back in, um, and especially I think the context with that is that Bai is as erratic as he is. Tunzibi is very, very injury prone. Phil Jones has been injury prone for most of his United career um, and is just an irrelevance as well. He's someone they need to be looking to get rid of. Rojo is just pretty much the epitome of the unprofessional footballer at United. Everything about him just stinks. And Chris Smalling would like to join Roma permanently. So when you look at it that way, you think, well, they definitely they definitely need a centre-back, but it just isn't quite that simple. And Solskjaer might just look to the clean sheets record and say, look, I can I can keep on going with this, this lot next year, but maybe next summer will be the time to bring a centre-half in. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Like, one area United appear to have locked down for the time being uh, is in central midfield. We've uh, broken the news today that Nemanja Matic has signed a new three-year contracts with the club. Uh, they obviously triggered the one-year extension uh, in his other contract, his old contract earlier in the season. But this tie seems to be a major reward for a player whose revival has come as a bit of a surprise, really. Let's be honest, considering where Matic was in September, October, in the wilderness, and uh, and he looked like he was on the verge of leaving the club. Yeah, you know, I mean... When United were struggling earlier in the season, I know he was out for a couple of months, but no one really thought Matic was a, a potential solution. And, and you know, they were really poor in midfield earlier in the season. McTominay and Fred had a decent partnership going, but you could easily have moved one of them forward and, and brought Matic in. But nobody really thought he was the solution there. I think everyone has, has presumed his best days are behind him. He's looked immobile in recent years and, and if his legs are catching up with him. But his, you know, his, his turnaround in form has been incredible. He's become a key part of this side. He played 160 minutes in the first half of the season in the Premier League, yet now he's he's one of the first names on the team sheet. I think he's helping that Pogba and Fernandez partnership just by his positional, positional intelligence in a defensive midfield role. Um, and he's fully earned it, really. You know, when United took the took the option, it was probably with a view to, to seeing how he goes and, and, you know, do we just keep him for an extra year or extend that? But within a few months, he's, he's shown how important he is. It's probably still... You know, a three-year contract will take him until he's 34. So, it's it's still unusual for top clubs to, to be giving players of that age such long-term deals. But, you know, on, on recent evidence, he's definitely earned it. And he's he's clearly first-choice defensive midfielder at the moment. And I think he's I think he's very important for the balance of that side. And 
these recent performances have, have been built on having a better balance, a, a good balance in the front three and a good balance in midfield. And I think he provides that. Yeah, he's a very, very popular uh, player with United fans at the moment. I guess, Samuel, because he, of what Ty says, he does reinforce that midfield and allow Pogba and Fernandes to, to kick on and thrive ahead of him. Uh, three years for a player of his age, do you, do you accept that? Or is this, is this another one that you could say, well, you know, a, a player that's going to be 34, is that, is that worth doing? He's done very well to get the contract he's on. I think the context on that is that United will say, well, he was coming out of contract in 2021, so it's just two more years after that. It's not like the situation they had with Fellaini and Mata where they were they literally had days left on their previous deals and then they got two-year contracts with the plus one option. So it's, it's slightly different, but it has to be said that Matic and his representatives have done very, very well for someone who's, I think he's turning 32 on August the 1st to get a three-year deal out of it. And it is interesting that United have tied down to midfielders. Uh, they've been the two major contract announcements recently in, in Matic and, and McTominay. And certainly going into the next transfer window, it, it, I mean, we, we still don't know how much United are going to have to spend because they might be in the Champions League next season. They might not be. What are the losses going to be um, from from the next quarter as well in terms of the financial uh, ramifications of that? So th- there's every chance that they might just go by with without even signing a midfielder in the next window. I can completely see that because I think they're pretty confident that Pogba will see out a fifth season with them at the very least. Fred's contracted to United, I think, until 2023. Obviously, Fernandez, uh, Matic, and McTominay are, are all fine. There are no issues there whatsoever. So that that's a, that's an enviable midfield quintet to have, and it's it's one of those situations. I think I alluded to it in a piece some time ago, but it's almost as if they've kind of like parked the midfield plans for the time being and looking at other areas of the squad where they might need a bit more major investment. Um, so th- th- they kind of like budget for for two big signings or because of the pandemic, it might just be one big signing. We, we don't know. Uh, I, I still think that you know, with Matic, that, that it's not a case of getting too far ahead of ourselves or anything like that, but because of his age, there will be games where he might be vulnerable. And certainly, if United... I, I think it's very good that United seem to be in a position where they don't make allowances for the opposition like they did uh, before, before the lockdown in that they play a back three against Chelsea and a back three against City. Come the FA Cup semi-final, I don't think they would play a back three against Chelsea. But Matic, on his own there, um, I know he's got Pogba mucking in, but there's every chance he could be isolated and every chance that Chelsea could exploit that. So there are situations where maybe McTominay is is, is the more uh, suitable uh, candidate to play that holding role, but he doesn't play it as well as Matic does. He's not an expert at it. So McTominay really, even though he's, what, 23 or 24, there's still an element that he's going to have to learn the ropes. And then maybe in a year or two down the line, he supplants Matic once and for all. Uh, but it's, it's a good position for United to be in, in that they, they have that quality in midfield there. They do have options. whatever um, the, Whenever the occasion calls for it, they can change shape. They can bring another midfielder in. Um, but I would still argue that that they're going to need a midfielder, if not this year, then certainly next year. Yeah, it was interesting that Solskjaer name-checked both Fred and McTominay 
when saying there were, there were some players he's finding it very hard to to leave out at the moment. And Fred did come on against Bournemouth in, in that defensive midfield role. Uh, Ty, quite a tidy cameo from him. Is he going to be frustrated if if this continues with Matic securing his future and McTominay very highly thought of by by Solskjaer? And Fred really can consider himself quite harshly done by considering what he did for United earlier in the season. Yeah, he probably can. Um, I think I think the issue for for Fred at the moment is that although Matic and Pogba are kind of starting out of possession alongside each other. Really, you want Pogba and Fernandez pushing forward and, and almost boxing the opposition in, and that leaves Matic covering counter attacks. And I think Fred's a very different defensive midfielder to that. He has a lot of energy. His passing is perhaps is probably better than Matic's, but I'm not sure he has kind of the the positional intelligence of, of Matic to to play that role on his own when Pogba and Fernandez are pushed further forward. So he is probably unfortunate. I still think he'll get enough games to him to impress. As we said, Matic is. Is of an age where he probably can't play every week. Um, and United would want someone to fill that role. I, th- I think Sam's right that McTominay is, is the ideal candidate for that. I mean, he's been he's been shunted around a bit. He scored his first goal last season, plays an attacking midfielder. He, he obviously played as a striker in the academy. Last week, Gary Neville was suggesting he could be a centre-half. So he does seem to suffer a bit through through his versatility, but he's got similar traits to Matic. So I think he's, he's probably an ideal candidate for that role. Um, Fred probably can consider himself a little unfortunate, but he, you know, he, he didn't have a great season last year, so it's not like he's locked down that position. Um, he's been much improved this year, but he's still throwing in the odd, the odd poor game. So I think I still think there's more to come from him, and he'll, he will get chances in that midfield because rotation is a necessity. But at the moment, I think he just has to accept that that Matic is the better and has been the better option. Yeah, you'd have to think so for the time being. I guess one midfield player or or a playmaking player that United have been looking at for some time and who they'll get a closer look at on Thursday evening is Aston Villa's Jack Grealish. Um, it'd be very interesting, Samuel, to see how Grealish does, considering it was his performance at Old Trafford in that slightly chaotic 2 all draw that really drew his attention uh, to, to United fans in particular. And Solskjaer was asked, asked about him, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think Solskjaer was, I can't remember who did the story, but apparently he made a beeline for Grealish in the tunnel afterwards and congratulated him on his goal and said he was the best player out there, which which he was. Grealish hasn't looked particularly impressive, I don't think, since uh, since the restart. And I mean, Villa haven't looked very impressive at all. It was, it was strange listening to Martin Tyler's commentary when he kept on going on about the counter-attacks Villa had available uh, to them as if they could counter-attack with the ease of United or City when, of course, everyone just ended up being bungled. Um, but you, with with Grealish, United did try and pretty much arrange a deal um, in early February there. But then, of course, the pandemic struck and everything's been put on ice since then and things have changed in terms of uh, how much money clubs might have to spend. United, again, as we've said before, the budget is, is still unclear because there are so many variables um, with with their situation in, in the Premier League and the Europa League this season. But for, for Grealish, it's not really an audition as such because United have already made up their mind on him. They believe that he's a more affordable option than someone like James Madison. I suppose the irony of that is that with Madison and the way it's going with Leicester at the moment, 
Um, the, the valuations could be the same if, if Villa were to somehow stay up this season, because if Villa stay up this season, they can command a larger fee for Grealish. Of course, if they go down, then they're, they're going to have to take a massive hit on him, especially given the amount of money they spent in the last summer transfer window. They, they took huge risks just to try and stay in the Premier League. So, as I said, I don't, I don't think Grealish is necessarily auditioning for United. I think if they're chopping and changing uh, players they're going to go for this late in the day, despite, of course, a, a pandemic hitting and you can't really legislate for that, it, it's, it's probably not a good sign. Um, but he is one of those players who, who does capture the imagination when he's on form. Uh, he's, he's been one of the few redeeming features about Villa this season. And regardless of whether they stay up or go down, He's he's a player you would think that has got to be playing in the Premier League next season. Yeah, I guess it's one of those times where United may have to to drop this as a priority if if someone like Sancho can be done for a, for a big fee inevitably, and then you've got Bruno Fernandez as your as your main playmaker anyway. So I guess the pressure's off Grealish in a in a way, uh, other than obviously having to shoulder Villa's survival hopes, which he's been doing in the past few weeks. Yeah, I think clearly Sancho has to be the, the priority. Sancho is the clearly the world-class talent and, and the player with the most potential as well. And I think he, if, if United only sign one player this summer and it's him, then I think you'd still declare that a, a relatively successful transfer window. Um, but I, I think Grealish will benefit from not having to carry Aston Villa. He, he looks to have the weight of the world on his shoulders at the moment. He looks like he knows it's all down to him. And he looks like a player who is, who is trying to do too much and is trying to do, is trying too hard. Um, he looks a bit. He looks injured to me as well at the moment. He went down a couple of times yesterday for for treatment. He was clearly injured when he played against City in the the League Cup final. What was that four months ago now? Um, so I don't know if there's some kind of long term issue there or what. But he doesn't look fully fit. One and thing that might endear, endear him to United fans is that he responded to a bit of criticism from Graham Souness. I think this yeah, weekend. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, that... uh, He's already in the Paul Pogba category for that one. Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting thing what Sunes said, to be honest. I mean, I hadn't really considered that point of view before. Um, he, he said that he gets fouled. The reason he gets fouled too much is because he hangs on to the ball, not not simply because of his ability to keep it, I guess. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not something I'd ever thought of before, but I suppose you can kind of see where he's coming from. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I would think he gets fouled a lot as well because he's, you know, he's, he's got very tricky feet. Um, but yeah, he is, he's a long way short of his best at the moment. And I think a combination of the pressure and what looks like some fitness issues uh, are hurting him. And if you take him out of the Villa side, then I don't think that Villa side is anywhere near good enough to stay up. No, and on form, this Villa game on Thursday would appear to be a gimme for United, really, considering how difficult it might have been with the crowd, uh, had the pandemic not struck Samuel. It, this it now looks a lot more winnable, uh, while still maybe containing... The odd tripwire for United, do you think? I think they would be very, very disappointed if they if they weren't if they didn't win on Thursday. Just yeah. given the situation, the dire straits Villa are in, they they do not look convincing in the slightest. It was a tad embarrassing for United that they only drew with Villa at Old Trafford uh, back in December. I think after that, United had something like four wins in fourteen league games, and and Solskjaer was. Uh, was really under the cosh behind the scenes, but then they had those two wins in the week against against Tottenham and City, and that's pretty much kept him in position for for the rest of the season. And I mean, the days where we were talking about Solskjaer's future um, are over for now, at least. But it's 
yeah, I mean, I think United have got a remarkable record at Villa in that they've not lost there since um, since the opening day in '95. The, the, the great kit and the you can't win anything with kids day. Uh, that was the last league defeat there. I think they've had a, a league cup defeat there, uh, something like in 1999, which obviously nobody can remember apart from shadows like me. But <laughs> it's it's mainly it's the, the main record is obviously that league record, which stretches all the way back. Um, nearly 25 years now, which makes me feel very, very old. The schedule would appear to have handed United a little bit of an advantage as well, given they played on, on Saturday and, and other people are playing on Wednesday, but United have got that extra day on Thursday to prepare for Villa and, and the schedule's thrown, thrown up all these games against relegation candidates at the same time, just as United attack has clicked into gear at Tyro and it seems mm. to be almost like the perfect storm at the moment for them and their top four hopes. Yeah, it has. I mean, the schedule over the last um, week, probably for most of the recent actually, has benefited United. But I, I think there's an issue coming in that they, they obviously play this Thursday, then they play on Monday against Southampton, then Palace away on the Thursday after that, and then the, the Chelsea semi-final. And it's not, this isn't an FA Cup game where you would expect Solskjaer to make eight changes. I think it'd be a huge surprise if he doesn't play his strongest team against Chelsea. So I think some form of rotation over the next four games is absolutely vital. You would think perhaps Southampton at home, but then in terms of league games, they're perhaps the best team they're playing in that run. So it's difficult to know when exactly he will rotate. But I think that the schedule has been kind so far, but I do think next week looks pretty tough. I think there's some difficult selection decisions coming in in terms of who he picks and how he, you know, how he goes about it and trying not to unbalance that side. Do you rotate for Villa or do you go for unchanged teams on the bounce? I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple of changes in there. I, I would be surprised if Greenwood starts all of the next three league games. Um, I think Solskjaer was hinting at the weekend about we need to be careful about how we manage him. He is only 18. He's been involved in all five games since the restart. I think he's played 350 minutes since the restart. And, you know, that's, that's his most consistent run of football in his career at, at senior level. He's obviously bulked up a lot over lockdown. But at the same time, that comes with a risk of injury, he's still learning about his body at that age, so wouldn't surprise me if, if he was taken out for at least one of these next three league games. Yeah, when, when I covered Cardiff City and Neil Warnock was in charge of them, he would never ever change the team if they'd won the previous game, so it was something like five or six games that he, he'd named an unchanged team, and then eventually it starts to look stale, and you think, why hasn't, haven't they made changes earlier? Is that, is that the sort of dilemma that Solskjaer might face in the next few weeks, Samuel? Possibly. Um, from a selfish perspective, I kind of hope they do change uh, the team in that, um, although I think the last time they went four games in the league with the same side, it was that run in 2006. But it would require an e even more research to find out the last time they actually played the same 11 five games running in the league. I I've absolutely no idea when that happened, if it ever happened. But as, as Ty said, the, the real test is next week when it's kind of like a Europa League-style week in that they've got a Thursday fixture uh, sandwiched between a Monday game and a Sunday game. Uh, Solskjaer and Mourinho have not concealed their uh, dismay at those kind of weeks where they've been saddled with Monday night game on a in a week where they'd have a European tie. And then, of course, they have to fulfil the Sunday fixture, which in this case is, is going to be an FA Cup semi-final. So that is an ideal. I think Solskjaer probably would have preferred to play again uh, three days after the Villa game and 
I know Southampton didn't show any signs of letting up against City on, on Sunday, but it's a big ask for them to repeat that level of performance against another big hitter between now and the end of the season when they are safe, they are going to stay up and they're, they're not really in any danger of getting pulled back into that relegation quagmire. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about those games in more depth, obviously, in the coming weeks. But just before we'll go, I'll, I'll have to take a, a prediction for the for the Villa game from both of you. Is this 17 games unbeaten? Uh, I would say it'll be 17 games unbeaten. I don't think it'll be as comfortable as recent wins. I think they might have to scrap a bit for this one. Um, maybe, a, maybe a 2-1, but... I would be surprised if it's not 17 unbeaten at uh, come 10pm on uh, Thursday night. Am I going to get another 3-0 from you here, Samuel? You will, yeah. I, I'm yeah. just going to go for 3-0 United again. Another three-goal winning margin. Yeah, it seems to be uh, the magic number at the moment for United. Uh, you'll have to see how they get on against Villa on Thursday night. You can obviously follow all the Manchester Evening News coverage for that. And you can leave us a like and a subscribe on the Manchester is Red podcast as well. Um, but thank you very much, Samuel and Ty. Thank you. you. And please join us very, very soon for another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. Thanks for listening.